Welcome to the W2 Prison Break Show, a podcast and YouTube series hosted by real estate investor, author, and coach Brian O'Neill. Tune in each week as we interview business owners who have successfully planned and executed their W2 Prison Break. You'll hear their stories, learn about their challenges, and what ultimately pushed them over the edge and gave them the courage to break free. Most importantly, you'll discover they are not much different than you. Listen in each week as we give you useful insights and action items to start your W-2 prison break and get you on the path you were always meant to be on. Hi, everyone. Welcome back to another edition of the W-2 Prison Break Show. So glad that you're tuning in. Again, I appreciate you listening to the show. We do have a great guest for you this week. I know I say that every week, but we do. We have a great guest for you. We bring great guests on this show because we want to help you leave that W-2. And one of the ways that we do that is to educate you and teach you different ways to make money. And that's exactly what we're going to do today. I brought on Will Basta, and we're going to talk a lot about the e-commerce industry. And he's going to teach us how we can spend a limited amount of time earning passive income through the e-commerce industry, Amazon, Walmart, automated stores. Great stuff that we're going to learn about today. He spent some time in W-2, so you're going to hear about that. And what you're really, really going to get out of this is the opportunity that exists in digital marketing. Stay tuned. This is going to be a great episode. Will, welcome to the show, man. I'm looking forward to speaking with you today. Yeah, I'm happy to be here, Brian. Thank you. Yeah, absolutely. This is a really cool topic. I have been interested in e-com for, I mean, goodness, the longest time I spent 25 years in corporate. Never did anything with it. I ended up in real estate. You were in corporate for quite some time too. We were talking a little bit offline. So before we get into your business now, if you could share with the listeners a little about what you were doing before you got yeah. into e-commerce. So I worked for a Fortune 500 company called Davida, very, very large healthcare provider in the US. I actually started out my initial career with them. So I was working primarily sales, partnerships, marketing with them. So I had that corporate experience for about four, a little over four years, close to five years. During that time, I was doing some consulting on the side with startups in that industry. So that was sort of the beginning of me sort of merging out of corporate and going into more of the Wild West type of company dynamics of the startup world, you know, in Silicon Valley. What made you start to think about, you said you were doing it alongside your W-2. Was that something that was always in you or did you just- Yeah, you know, it it intrigued me. What I loved about the startup environment, and we can obviously get into this, you know, there's a lot of parallels to entrepreneurialism and the fact that it's an unpredictable environment. There's stuff coming out of left field. You might have one role where you're wearing a bunch of different hats. Mm-hmm. So it's exciting and, and sort of fast paced. And I got a taste of that when I was doing some consulting because the consulting jobs would always be with organizations that were probably like sub 10 employees. And they really had no sales or no real structure and operations when it comes down to marketing and sales. So I would come in and sort of help them build that out at like an hourly rate or sort of a you know a flat monthly fee. Getting a taste of that and sort of seeing the energy you get from companies that are at that small scale, a lot of them had a very innovative product that was disruptive to the industry, which healthcare needs a lot of disruption in the US. And so that was very, very intriguing to me. And it led me to going down that route, obviously. But that's really where I got the taste of it. And I got a taste of that environment. 
And at that point, I was also sort of plateauing in the corporate world. You know, I had my relationship with Davida and it was good, but I was hitting that point where money was good, but also I, I wasn't really fulfilled. And I knew it was time to sort of move on to the next. Can you maybe expand a little bit? You said two keywords there, which I went through plateauing and corporate world. Maybe expand on that yeah. a little bit. And the other thing you had mentioned right after that. Yeah. Yeah. So you hit that point where you're almost just complacent. That's not exactly what anyone really wants because then there's no excitement in the morning when you wake up, right? It doesn't mean you're not successful in your career or like the people you're working with. And, you know, there was a point where I was just sort of like, why am I always looking for something different in consulting? Why am I always trying to find a different role or something else to interact with outside of my regular position? Because it's almost like I've done it all and I've got that success from that position and there was nothing else to strive for within that organization. And I sort of knew always what would be next. Okay, maybe I can get raised to a VP level or whatever it may be. That didn't really excite me at that point. When you reach that point of not being fulfilled and you see yourself sort of veering off track, it's also not fair on the company side because it can lead to your disinterest in what you're doing. And I think overall, that's just sort of a path you don't want to go down. And I caught myself in that period and I was smart enough to know, hey, this is time to sort of look elsewhere. How I found this position, there's a couple of companies out there in job boards that do specifically for startups. So I got a profile on angel.co. Then I just started taking interviews left and right. And my next position after that was working in still in health tech, but another organization that was a lot smaller, closer to 100 employees. And with that kind of environment, I just saw a big difference in the fact that it may not be as structurally set up, but you had that excitement of like, okay, what are we going to do now? And what's going to be in Q, you know, Q2? And this just happened now, so we're changing our strategy here. And all these sort of things that were happening in the company which yes, that happens in the corporate world, but you don't really get hit by them as often just because it's such a more of established company at that point that you're not really on the front lines as much. And so that sort of brought more excitement to me at that point. And again, fulfillment is huge in your position. You want to make sure that not only is it something that you're enjoying, but it's something that like you wake up every morning, and you're excited to do that job and decided to do that work. And that's the whole point of it. I mean, why be in that hamster wheel per se? And eventually things can hit that way where you feel like it's redundant even yeah. if it's successful. Yeah, totally. Great point and good on you for you know noticing early on in your corporate career that you weren't fulfilled and you were looking for something different. And I love what you said about, you know, hey, it's not fair to the company, right? Really good of you to notice that and go ahead and do something with it, right? It's not just about making money. I mean, we can all make money, yeah. but that's not why we're waking up and getting out of bed every day. Exactly. All right. So fast forward to you were with this other company for a bit. How did you end up to where you are yeah. now? Let's dive into your business. Yeah. So still in love with health tech. You know, I worked for a few different companies um, over a five-year period. And mm -hmm. a lot of them was sort of building them up from where they were and then moving on to the next amicably kind of thing. That's sort of how the startup world can work sometimes. That being said, during that period of time, I was gaining a lot of interest in digital income streams and entrepreneurialism and investing in side projects with the extra capital that I had, that didn't mean a lot of always successes. I always look at it as an educational thing. Even if you did fail, whether it be starting a product on Amazon or starting a digital marketing agency, which had some success, it was really more just testing the market of what interested me outside of healthcare that I could do in this digital space, internet age that we're in, right? So I got involved in Amazon early on. I took some courses on that, got to learn the back end of e-commerce. That's obviously a massively emerging market. You know, 10 years ago still is, obviously. And you know, I had my failures there, starting products, getting stuff from China, but really learning from the failures. That's the biggest thing you got to take from these kind of things is when you're investing in random opportunities in different ventures. If it doesn't work out, you have to look at 
not necessarily as something that's attached to you as failure, but it's an educational process where you take what you learn from that and leverage it later on in different opportunities. So let's fast forward a little bit from there. My business partner and I, at this point, we had an established Amazon business in the supplement industry, also had you know different opportunities that we had success in down the line. There was a lot of companies popping up about three years ago in the e-commerce space that were essentially providing you know, the ability for people to invest in this asset class, but not worry about infrastructure or time, which is obviously extremely attractive to a busy professional, right? right? A lot of people want to get involved in these investments, but they don't have time and they don't know where to start and they don't want to learn it themselves and they have the capital, right? And so we were sort of testing the market by investing in, at that point, you could call them a competitor of what we do right now, right? We invested in an organization to build us an Amazon business just to sort of see the success it can bring, because obviously it's an attractive model where you pay an expert upfront, they handle the entire thing for you, and then you do sort of a profit split based on the success of the business, right? Great on the surface, but what we quickly sort of realized within a couple of months is what was unraveling was just the inefficiencies in the industry. So we instantly started to say, I mean, this is a great business model on the surface, but not only the company that we invested with, but everywhere else we're hearing and when we're doing research and other people we know have invested in this, like these companies are poorly executing everything. They do not have real infrastructure in place. They outsource a bunch of the processes. There's just gaps and gaps and gaps mm-hmm. and pretty much a broken model. And that's when the light bulb turned on. We were like, hey, well, both my experience with building companies, Jeremy's experience in e-commerce, he was getting his MBA from Michigan at the time. We said, hey, we can take this model and actually do it the right way. Let's refine it. Let's legitimize it. Let's flip the script on how it's approached. Let's bring ethics, an ethically sound approach into leadership, which is extremely important. So that's already done because that's how we run our businesses and how we approach business is you know, you ethically sound in our practices with integrity. Let's bring in a real infrastructure. Let's build out a team organically from the ground up and not outsource these processes, right? And so that is what we did in the beginning. And we did it at a small scale. So our point was to build this out, but watch our model prove out what we knew we could do with about 10 to 15 clients or about I'd say about 10 months. And that's what we did. And we saw we had something special. Now we can cut to where we are now. We're about a little over 30 months into this. And we've got nearing 500 clients, two warehouse facilities in Dallas, office in LA, and just millions of revenue for our our clients building out Amazon and Walmart businesses compliantly. Nice. On these platforms. Yeah, that's good. That's great. I love that you did, you took the time to do the research first by, you know, having another competitor build out a store for you. I assume that's what you did. Yeah. What did you learn? Because you mentioned inefficiencies in the industry. What were some of the, like the top things that you learned? Oh uh, man, there's just so many. It's like a laundry list, and and this would sure. be a whole other podcast. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but um, top yeah, top I two mean, or three, right? I'd say one of the biggest ones is transparency too. That's not about how the business outcome is, but it also leads into that and can poison an experience for an investor. A lot of these people are investing money, and then there's zero transparency into their investment at all. They don't know what's going on. These teams are fragmented and outsourced. There's no fluidity between communication between different apartments. And no one's there for a common goal because they're all contractors, right? Underneath the surface. And that's not something they tell you when you invest, right? So that is horrible. And we don't outsource any of our processes. And we're extremely transparent. You can visit our warehouse. You can see what's happening with your investment. You know, you can actually physically see it. You could shake our hands at our office. So that's a huge aspect. And still to this day, I don't really know any companies that have that that are considered competitors in our industry specifically, where you can really go through the nuts and bolts of the operation logistically and they're not outsourcing their warehouse, right? That ties into the same thing of warehousing. 
a lot of these companies would say they don't have their own warehouse and it's a third-party logistics company. So they're, they're sharing a warehouse, right? That means there's no prioritization of your products. You're getting killed on margins. A lot of factors play into that. Those are the main things that really hit is the infrastructure. They would pretty much outsource infrastructure. That's not built for longevity and sustainability. Our focus was building a real infrastructure from the ground up and making everything internal and making sure that everything is done in-house. And even if we have an overseas team, the director of our team overseas, his aunt is our warehouse facility manager in Dallas. Like we are cohesive in our practices, every layer of the organization. All that does is lead to a better quality outcome. It's a trickle-down effect to the outcome of our clients' businesses and their investments. So transparency, massively huge, infrastructure, huge, and then the ethics piece. I mean, those are the three glaring aspects. You can go to down communication and all of that and just software stacks. And I don't want to get go down that rabbit hole, but those are the three ones that stand out to me, which we instantly made sure were the heart of our business when we grew it. Okay, great. Good share. All right. So I'm going to ask you questions like I'm a kindergartner. All right. So <laughs> I'm just high level. So I'm a busy professional. I'm a high income earner. I'm super busy, just like you were in corporate. Yeah. But I want to earn passive income. I just, I'm limited on time, right? I want to do something in e-com. I just don't have a lot of time. I've got the money to invest and I really don't want to do a lot of work or little to no work. I come to you. What do you do for me? Yeah, yeah, exactly. And also just to touch on that too, it's, mm -hmm. you know, especially right now, this is just a quick little sidebar on that. Mm -hmm. You know, the reason why we're in such a position right now where we're getting so many people who want to invest as well is because look at the current state of the economy. I mean, Amazon is still projected to grow 8% this Q4 over last year's Q4. That's still growth, yep. right? There's massive market upside potential regardless of inflation or anything that's going on because we sell necessities, right? Anyway, we can talk more about that later. Anyway, yeah, you come to us. Our investors have all different backgrounds, right? The commonality is known as time. So we have school teachers, people in the financial sector, real estate, super corporate retirees, veterans, all of that. So you come in with zero knowledge in this, you sign a contract with us, there's an onboarding process. The most work you'll ever do with this investment is the first month, right? And it's this is an exaggeration, but let's just say a couple hours of your time. You have to fill out some forms, you own the business outright. So Amazon requires you to fill out the application, it takes 10 minutes. They verify your identity through a 10 minute Zoom. Then the ball's in our court and we handle everything else, right? So you have to have an entity for this business. So you got to make sure your LLC is there, whatever entity you may be using. You have to have your working capital together for us to fund the products. And then you have to do that basic Amazon application and fill out a quick form that we have on what you're comfortable in spending and certain things like that in terms of how we lay out the first six months of your investment. And then we onboard you onto ClickUp. That is a really well-known technology platform that a lot of companies use. We use that for communication as well as analytics of your business. So you can always tap in and sort of see what's happening through the app without even talking to us. So once you're onboarded on that, our team begins product research. We start sourcing products for you that are profitable, sending them to our warehouse, repackaging them, sending them to Amazon's warehouse as a prime product and or listing products that we send directly to customers. And you can see this all through Amazon. But after you're onboarded and that is all underway, you don't have to be monitoring. I mean, we have clients we don't talk to for months. So I'm going to check in once a week. It's as high touch or as low touch as you like. At the end of the day, you are the financial driver of the business and the owner of the business. Those are your two main roles, right? If you want to see what's going on and ask questions, we are there for you to do that. But if you don't want to, and you just want to collect your check from Amazon, which you get paid out from, and just monitor your working capital and your credit limits as you spend them, and as you get paid back and then pay the invoices that we send you, 
that's all you have to really do. And you can see it sort of progress from there. I'm not sure that answers your question fully, but really it's the first month and that onboarding aspect. And then we take the ball and we run with it from there. Yeah, no, it definitely does. But you touched on the time. That's super important because a lot of us want to have this passive income, like truly passive, but we have to trade our time for that yeah. knowledge and you know the actual work, which it sounds like yep. your, your team are handling the bulk of that, if not pretty much all of it. We don't have to discuss numbers here, but I would just ask if someone invests a certain dollar amount with you, yeah. what is the expectation average you know, to where that might be? Yeah. I know everyone's different, right? Totally. I can give you sort of a median average. What's going to dictate in year one, so your first six months with Amazon specifically, you're looked at as a new seller, right? So yeah. Amazon puts you in sort of a probationary period. You have limited warehousing space. They might premiere your product less. Uh, you have less reviews. It's a building block phase. You're going to get sales in the first six months, but don't look at us some crazy revenue numbers. It's really us gaining stature on the platform so we can start scaling month six to 12. Month six to 12 is where you make about 80% of your investment or 80% of your revenue in the first year. We've had clients break even as early as 10 months, as late as like 17 to 18 months. In the middle, it's generally 12 to 14 months on a break even on your initial investment. Yeah. That is conditionally based on the fact that you have working capital to pump in your business to at least match your investment. So when I say that, if you invested 40K with us, let's make sure you have a credit line of at least 40K that we can inject into the business for products. The more money you spend, the more return you get. We do simple math there and say you spend $10,000 on products, 20% return. There's 2K, right? So again, that's going to this person who's got a half a million in working capital in the first six months compared to the person who's got 25 grand in working capital are almost on the same playing field in the first few months just because there's just limits in what we can do. Sure. Where they will jump ahead in revenue is the second half of the year because that's when your working capital is really going to drive the success of the business based on what we can do with it. You know, you get more discounts, the more volume you can purchase and stuff like that. And also one thing, other thing I want to touch on is in terms of margins that we have, your basic 20% margin is there. Like that's our regular average. You can have products upwards of 40, 60% margins, to be honest with you, and as low as 7% that we're selling. The ones that are 7 to 10% are the ones that are super high volume units sold. Yep. And those products generally go with people who have higher working capital limits because we have more flexibility in us leveraging their capital. And making money is the whole point here. So if you have a $100,000 credit line, we can work with 10% margin products if they're selling a lot of units because you have no more wiggle room. If you've got a $20,000 credit line, you're probably going to have a higher average ROI just because we're more particular in what we're sourcing because there's a ceiling into what we can spend. If that makes yeah. sense. And so that's what you have to inject in the business is going to you know, separate you from mm -hmm. another investor. Right. It also sounds like it's very customizable too on your end. You just went through a bunch of different scenarios and it sounds like, you know, there's something for everyone just depending on what you're investing and what your working capital is, which does get cycled out every month, right? Like this isn't... Yeah, exactly. So at the beginning, it's a little bit different because Amazon has weird payout terms because you're new. So they won't pay you off for the first six weeks and that might put some reserves on the first six months. That's why we don't spend that much in the beginning. We're not too bullish yep. on spending. We don't want to put clients in weird positions like that. But yeah. I mean, we have an entry point as low as 20 grand. We have some clients who have dropped upwards of 1.2 million for a portfolio of businesses. So we have, you know, all over the board and then working capital limits anywhere from someone who's got 20 grand to half a million. And so based on where you're at with that, you get tiered in different positions and there's different things. You can get a very complex investment by adding private label products. It really just depends on what direction you want to go. So we're pretty flexible in terms of how you want to enter this market. 
Awesome. And you know, the timeline you gave for return is, I mean, delayed gratification is like a problem in this world, but that's speed. I have investments in syndications for, you know, multifamily. I'm not going to see that for like five to seven years. So yeah, exactly. My full return. So that's that's good speed. To touch on that too. I mean, we plan on working with all of our investors for a long time because there's more than just Amazon and Walmart that we're working on a lot of different opportunities, Mm -hmm. especially global expansion, which you can touch on later. But we actually have a guarantee on everyone's investment as well. So the break-even point is 12 to 14 months. But if you invested 40 grand with us, that upfront is guaranteed contractually within 24 months or we pay you the difference back. So if you only made 30 grand out of 40 grand, which hasn't happened before, but it's sort of a security measure for people investing in alternative investing, which this is alternative to your regular stocks and real estate, right? We're confident in what we can do. We make sure that every initial infrastructure investment, which is the first upfront fee, is actually guaranteed net back or we pay you that difference. Nice. I like it. That's a sure thing, basically, getting your capital back. Yeah. You're confident in what you do. A minimum. Yeah. Yeah. You mentioned alternative assets. So it just sparked a thought. Do you have any clients that are, you know, investing or building these stores with you out of their, like a self-directed retirement account? Yeah. I actually just had a presentation with a firm about that, (laughs) specifically with all the clients. So as of right now, no, but that is actually something that's going to be happening a lot more. Mm-hmm. I just present in front of about 50 to 100 people with their IRA account, et cetera. And that's definitely a direction that we're going to be going into on that or clients are going to be leveraging because it's approved by their firm. So as of right now, actually, you know, I don't have a full scope of all of our clients because there's almost 500. So yeah, yeah. I don't want to say we don't, we might, <laughs> but yeah. Sure. No, that's just something that sparked in my head there. And yeah. you know, I like some people have a lot of money sitting in retirement accounts. I don't know what to do with it. So this is a good option for sure. All right. I have more questions for you, but I just wanted to, you know, if somebody wants to learn more about this, speak to you or your team, where would they go to learn more about what you just described? Yeah. So our website is pretty informative. It has all the publications about us, everything from Forbes to podcasts that we're doing. So those are always informational. Um, you can book a call with us directly on that as well. That's www.ascendecom.com, A-S-C-E-N-D-E-C-O-M.com. As well as we have a YouTube and Instagram. YouTube is ascendecom. Instagram is ascend underscore E-C-O-M. We post pretty much daily on there. Always mm-hmm. educational, always about our warehouse, industry in general, updates, You know, a lot of stuff around that. And you can always DM us there as well. Excellent. Okay, perfect. We'll leave that in the notes. I'm going to ask you again before we wrap up, but I have a... And excuse my ignorance on this, Will, but again, I hear things when I've, because I've looked mm. at this in the past, right? Yeah. I might be explaining this incorrectly, so do correct me, but Amazon can shut your store down. Is that correct? Is that a real thing? Or Yeah, of course. I mean, you're on a third-party platform, but when they are shutting stores down, they're doing it because people are breaking terms of service. And mm-hmm. historically, all those, the reason why we started this company, we circle back again, of them leaving the truth out. They are initially drop shipping on these client stores that are investing with them. And people don't realize that drop shipping is against terms of service. So you will get your store suspended and then terminated. We have a group of investors we're talking to right now, about 12 different investors that went with another organization. They didn't know about us. And that's exactly what happened. They left out the truth and all of their stores got suspended within six months. Now we're taking them on at a lower cost just to get them out of that sticky situation because we do everything by the book compliantly. We don't break any rules. We want to be Amazon's friend. It's their platform. So you want to do everything by the book. If you do it by the book with the right infrastructure, you're going to be the one who's there at the end of the line. So that's generally what that is. You can have suspensions for other reasons like poor store health, IP complaints, stuff like that. Our team monitors all of that. We have like a sub... In terms of the... I think we have 
under 1% suspensions. And most of those are for reasons that are Amazon crossing their wires for some other weird duplicate thinking that you're doing something that you're not. And we get those lifted within a couple of weeks. So that can happen. They also randomly will do audits for velocity limits. If your store is doing really, really well, sometimes they might want to just look into it to make sure you're not breaking any rules. But most of the time of what you see online and hear about horror story wise, it's a drop shipping violation. And it's something that provider never told them about. Got it. No, I appreciate explaining that. That's the first I ever heard it explained to me. You know, when something sounds really good and looks good and is good, you know, people are looking to poke holes in it, right? Like a reason not to do it. And that's the one I've always heard. And you just explain it. Well, hey, you're breaking the rules, man. You're going to get your store yep. shut down. So, yep, exactly. I mean, Amazon will catch you. They're a billion dollar company. They're not stupid. <laughs> they got a few resources here and there, right? Exactly. Would you or have you or do any of your clients sell the stores? Yeah, that's actually something we didn't touch on. That's a huge aspect of our business is looking at this as digital real estate. It's not just about passive income here. It is about digital asset appreciation. And we build these businesses out in a manner where they are sellable for optimal value down the line, right? We haven't had any clients who came to us from day one and actually ended up selling their business yet. Most of those ones actually end up getting a second business just so they can sell one of them eventually. So if you come in here with deep pockets, it's best not to pump all your money into one store and get a portfolio of businesses. It gives you the ability and the flexibility to sell one for profit and then you keep one for passive income and also have a diverse portfolio and e-com mitigates risk across your investment in general. Because these are worth two to four X your annual net profits you get from the store. So uh, we've seen upwards of 10X, right? Depends the dynamics of the store, the store health, when it started, what models are getting run on that store, what brand and products you have all these complex variables, and we offer all of them for the business. That's why a lot of real estate investors align with what we do, because you can sort of look at it. I like to use this this example of like if you bought a house, you're maybe you're renting on Airbnb or something for 400 a night. How do you increase that nightly rate? You probably invest in the house, you redo the kitchen, you add up a hot tub, you do something along those lines, and then you could jump it up to 750 or something. Yeah. We have that ability with all of these businesses, where if you start with a base program, of a regular wholesale hybrid store that we do, you can add certain things that are going to increase value of that store. We can build a brand around that store, right? We can build a branded, but that's, that's what really increases value down the line is having a private label product. So we have ways of doing that. And then also you can go on Walmart platform as well and cross sell the products that are doing well at higher margins. So there's a lot of routes you can go once you get ingrained in the industry. And we obviously do all of those. Digital asset appreciation for this is huge. This is like the internet age when if you had secured dogs.com, you know what I mean? Like that's yeah. e-com right now is only 16% of the retail market in terms of purchases. NASDAQ predicts it's going to be 95% by 2040. That just gives you an idea of how much growth is ahead and how you want to get a piece of that pie and have a stabilized, compliant business in the online world. Yeah. It's going to be worth money. That statistic, 16% of the retail market, I would almost say you're full of it. It's way higher right? than that. It's way higher I, than I, that. That's, a, that. that's what I thought too. Yeah. I read that recently too. They actually, it's insane to me. I know. That's why I bring that fact up whenever I'm having these conversations because mm. for me, it's 90% <laughs> of what I do is online, right? But this actually, before the pandemic, they predicted at this point it was going to be, a, and forgive me if I'm like a percentage, a point no, off no, or please, something. But so there was a bubble in 2020, obviously, right? But what they predicted where the retail market in e-commerce was going to be at this point is still higher right now than it was. So the bubble inflated it, but it didn't drop below what was predicted before the pandemic. They predicted it was going to be like 14 or 15% right now. It's at 16%, right? Yeah, it might have jumped up in 2020, but 
That drop also, what people don't realize is the purchases that went online, we gained lifelong customers. People who never would have shopped online are now comfortable doing it forever. You know what I mean? And so that's why that bubble didn't burst as much as people would expect. And that is straight from NASDAQ. You can Google that. They predict 95% by 2040. And it's only at 16% now. That baffles me, right? But that just shows how much growth is ahead. And that goes into the, I know I'm rambling on right now, and I'll touch on this real briefly, is the international market here. Canada, UK, Italy, and Germany are all growing via Amazon faster than the US right now. And we're testing those markets, specifically Canada and the UK right now, so our clients can sell into those markets. And so there's always expansion capabilities as an investor with us. Okay. That's a good point that you brought that up. I was going to ask you that. Are we just limited to the States? It doesn't sound like you are. Nope. Okay. I mean, not yet, but that's on the horizon. How do you pick your stores and does the client have any say in that? Or quite frankly, do they want any? Or are they just like, hey, do your thing? Yeah. Most of the time, they don't want any. I mean, it's you're in here for to make money, not to pick a passion project for e-commerce. And so yeah. every business is built differently. We have different store managers, they're incentivized to grow the business to a certain degree, right? They get incentivized when it gets certain to get to certain benchmarks in terms of growth and revenue. The products that we pick are all data-driven. You can look at John Doe's store, month six, he's going to be selling potato chips, maybe cutting board, potting plants, tire greaser. It is literally across the board, randomized and data-driven. Where the client can have some input of what we sell they can have input of what we don't sell. We have some clients who are environment, they, for environmental causes, they don't want to sell stuff that's wrapped in plastic. So we can knock that off, right? We can knock off stuff that you don't want to sell. And then private label, which is a branded side, this is an add-on to our base packages. That's when we build out a brand for you. If you have a passion in cooking or a passion in wellness and you know athletic apparel, whatever, we can do research. If you find a viable product in that industry, then we can go down that route. And that's when you can sort of have a category you know, a decision on what category you want to go into. Other than that, it's really us running with it. Okay. No, that's a great answer. I'm going to ask you a bit of a difficult question. I know the answer, I think, but someone, the listeners, I'd be like, why doesn't he just do this all himself? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. That's a great question because I get that all the time. So I love answering this. There's a couple of reasons. You know, the basic technical reason is Amazon, specifically Amazon, also Walmart. You know, you can't have, technically as of last year, you can have two businesses under one seller, but you can't have more than that technically. When I say that, I mean, you need an individual identity for each Amazon business as you open. So that's why couples are great when they invest because they can easily just open up two with both of their names, right? Yep. But with a group comes in and they want to buy a portfolio of 10 businesses, we have ways of doing it. We can get shelf stores. We can get other ways of making sure that you can get a portfolio of a bunch of businesses, right? But for us to do that ourselves internally for 500 stores, a logistical nightmare. There's that aspect of that being insane, right? And then there's what I love is building an investor network. As I mentioned, I touched on, I alluded to earlier, it's like it's a very diverse group of investors. And we plan on bringing value to our investors in a lot of different ways down the line. If you invest with us once, that's fine. We're going to keep opening up opportunities to digital income streams. And as we bring value to one investor, they might want to invest with us again on something else. So I like the concept of us having a diverse pool of investors and also knowing that the portfolio of our offerings are going to increase as we come across new opportunities in the digital space. And so it goes further than just e-commerce as well. You know what I mean? And that's how I really look at it. My business partner might give a different answer on the second piece. We have our reasons, right? But the technical answer is the first one. And yeah, the vision vision answer is the second one. 
Yeah, I love the answer. And uh, yeah, I could see the logistical nightmare in having 500 stores for sure. And the network, that's brilliant. I love it. Also to touch on that too, because people might be thinking, oh, why don't you just pump your capital in this one store? Well, we have clients who come to us a lot of capital. And I mentioned this earlier, you want to cover more ground in e-commerce. There is diversification in investing, which means making sure your capital allocation is going to different asset classes, et cetera. And then within e-commerce itself, there's diversification within e-commerce, which means selling on different platforms, multiple platforms, and also having multiple Amazon businesses because each business has a different product mix and a different trajectory. And also gives you that ability, like I said, to self-flip or keep for passive income, but also know that you can focus more on a brand strategy with one while keep one regular wholesale. So it gives you flexibility within your investment, which is huge. Absolutely. And I agree a million percent. Will, if I'm a, I know you have 500 clients, so it might be hard to you know generalize because mm. there's a lot of diversity there, but would someone be able to earn enough income, you know, if they're willing to wait, right? Mm -hmm. To be able to leave said job. And is that a goal of theirs when they come to you? Like, hey, I want to earn enough money to get out of this. Sometimes we hear that, mm -hmm. but they're never in a rush specifically because okay. they, have, they know this takes time to build an established business like this. I mean, clients are the best. We have the best numbers we've ever done for a client in a month. It was 29 grand in that profit in one month. It depends what your goals are in terms of passive income and what you have saved. I don't want to say that one Amazon business is going to make someone completely comfortable forever, depending on how they spend their money. It depends on what you put into it. I think it's definitely a big piece of the puzzle if you are investing in different things and this should be part of your portfolio in general. I mean, our businesses turn into six-figure businesses, good profit, six figures a year, low six figures, mid six figures, once it's gotten to that point. It's all about what you put into it. We have some people, they have savings and they have other investments and they just want to add another 150K a year to add and it'd be comfortable to sit back, right? And we can confidently say that that's something that's doable. Someone who comes in and makes a half a million dollars a year and they're looking to replace that immediately, like I would be weary because like, yeah, we can get a store to that degree, but it's going to take a while. Mm -hmm. And like, I don't want you to put all your eggs in one basket doing that just because it's just not smart in the first place. So yes and no, I hate to give you a political answer there. We never like to market this as let's replace everything you're doing, but this is a huge, huge aspect of that. It could be a big part of the puzzle when it comes down to you freeing yourself from your day to day. It's definitely an emerging asset class that is going to be around for a very long time and it's only growing. So Totally. We go back to the 16% of retail market. Yeah, yeah exactly. I had no idea. Again, yeah. I appreciate your honest answer there because it's going to be different for everyone. And hey, some people might 150 grand a year, they would walk away tomorrow if they could get that. Yeah. So everyone's yeah. going to be different. And I do agree with you on diversification. We talk a lot about on the show about having multiple income streams. And this really, I think, intrigues a lot of people who don't want to invest the time into the day-to-day. -day. They don't have to. Of course. Yeah. Of course. Yeah, it's huge. I mean, time is everything when it comes down to this, right? Also time with patience. You know, know that, like you mentioned earlier, if you're real estate investing, it take years for your IRA. People will see our investment and the ones that align up, we also set the right expectations of what to expect. But the ones that really align with it are ones that have invested in real estate before too. And they understand it takes a while to build out a really successful business. And they see the wheels moving on what we're doing. And yep. then eventually that stride hits. And then you can compound on that growth with us. I mean, and look, here's the reality too, Will, is that everybody buys stuff off Amazon. I'm like everybody, right? I mean, I got packages yeah. coming to my house three times a day practically. Yeah. So 
like people are buying from it. So it's just a matter of aligning yourself with the, this is something you want to do, aligning yourself with, there's no need to reinvent the wheel here and start from mm-hmm. scratch. Like get with a company like yours and do it the right way and yeah. you know, sit back and just kind of wait, right? Yeah, we could touch quickly on the fact that someone's like, am I too late to sell on Amazon? Is it too saturated? I mean, yes and no. If you look at the 3 million, or did I get numbers between two and 3 million sellers in America, North America, right? Mm-hmm. I could cut that into a third or less that are actually competitive to ascend clients, given our infrastructure and what we sell. A lot of them are selling one product, they're selling out of the garage, you know, they're doing it all themselves. They're a niche brand specifically. They're breaking terms of service, but they're going to get terminated. They have one active product and they're considered an active store. At the end of the day, when people invest with us, they're getting accelerated into this ecosystem and ultimately made a competitor within a year and a top seller on Amazon with you know no ending insight given how expansive our infrastructure is. You're pretty much getting... Our legal team hates it when they use this, but it is almost like you're franchising out an established program that works time and time again for hundreds of clients, yeah. you know, and so it accelerates you into that and sort of fast tracks you as opposed to, you know, doing it yourself and having that ceiling where it's like, shit, now it's getting big, but I have no way of managing this growth. Yeah. You know, you're going to look for someone to partner with regardless of if you start it yourself or not. That's a great point, you know, because you are doing this not to make a few scraps here. You want to get big and then, oh God. Yeah, to make good money, you got to have a partner. You got to have a partner or you got to dedicate all your time. True. No. Great point. Okay, Will, one more time, give us the site to schedule that free consultation. Absolutely. Free consultation, yeah? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. But we're very educational on our calls. It's not like salesy or pushy or anything like that. We just want to learn about your background, what you're interested in, what you know about this, and we'll explain how we do things. And if it makes sense to take it to the next conversation, we'll go from there. And that's www.ascendecom.com, A-S-C-E-N-D-E-C-O-M.com. And then our social channels, YouTube, Ascendecom. Instagram, Ascend, A-S-C-E-N-D, underscore, E-C-O-M-E-C-O-M. Okay, great. For everyone who's driving, we'll have those in the show notes there. So be able to click those links directly. Will, before we wrap up, I want to get a final thought from you, but I just wanted to say that I'm just really appreciative of you coming on and teaching us. That's what you're doing. You're teaching us another way to make money passively, which is a major block for a lot of folks who are in jobs that they don't like. They want to break free from the W-2. I mean, money is a huge fear. And, you know, this is something that I would encourage all of you to investigate further because, as Will said, it's not going away. It's 16% right now. It's getting up in the 90s, and now's a great time to get in. I know you'd agree with that. Yeah, 100%. This is the time to act, even with, like I said before, one thing I'll just reiterate again is the market and the financial situation right now. Don't be scared of e-commerce because this is still going to grow this year. Amazon is going to be 6 to 8% more in sales than it was last Q4. Just to tell you right there, maybe it would be more if there wasn't inflation and a looming economic downturn or downturn that we're in right now, but it's still growing. People are buying necessities. It's detergent. We sell necessities, food. These aren't just things that you want. It's things that you need. So, Love it. Great point. All right. Anything I didn't ask you, final thoughts, anything you want to leave us with before we wrap up? That was it, really. I think you had some awesome questions. I think if this is hitting anyone in terms of you know interest, yeah, we can obviously dive deeper on this on an actual call. But the questions you asked are perfect. And these are the questions I would ask if I was in that seat. You know what I mean? So thanks for having me. I really appreciate the time here. Yeah, yeah, you got it. No, it was great getting to know you. Everyone, make it a great day. Thank you for tuning in to another episode of the W2 Prison Break Show. Don't forget, you can watch all full episodes on our YouTube channel. Definitely check that out and please subscribe. 
Go to www.w2prisonbreak.com to learn more. If you like this show, please leave us a rating and review so we can continue to support you and the thousands of others planning their W-2 prison break. Here's to busting you out.